Welcome to the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Will Cheshire. And in this podcast, I speak with impact-driven founders and share their real-time stories about how their solution has a positive impact on society. This is a show for founders, investors, and all individuals looking for some positivity and optimism as you hear from people working hard to help better our society and our planet. You can expect to learn about some awesome new products and services in this show that will bring you more hope in our quest to solve some of society's biggest issues. Let's dive in to this week's episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. We're back with a new episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast as I speak with Leonie Sanderson, the co-founder of The Aging Revolution. The Aging Revolution challenges ageism and our fears of growing older and the discrimination people face as they get older. I find Leonie's solution to be really interesting because it's something that I see with various people I know in their fears of growing older. When I think growing older should be celebrated as I believe there's a lot of value that elderly people can provide to society and help to teach the younger generations. I also believe it's important to have in-depth discussions between different generations to build a well-rounded society. I'm excited to share this episode with you. So let's dive in with the co-founder of The Aging Revolution, Leonie Sanderson. Leonie, thank you so much for hopping on and, and you know having this episode with me today. And how are you? Thanks so much for having me. And Leona, you and I have a bit of a time difference. You're over in Brisbane in Australia, my first guest from Australia. I've had guests from various other countries, but you're the first from Australia and that side of the world. So uh, that's even a little bit more special on that front, Exciting. I think. Yeah, it's 9 a.m. here uh, and it's a public holiday for, um, for, the, uh, for the death of the Queen in Queensland. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah. There we go. That makes a lot of sense, of course. And then, of course, the history between Australia and England and the UK in general, of course, Absolutely. on that front. We did not have that here. Uh, so uh, although uh, people in America certainly, you know, certainly follow the, the the royal family and whatnot more than you would think. But, you know, we're not here to discuss the royal family or anything of that nature. We're here to discuss what you have going on as the co-founder of the Aging Revolution, which is something I find very fascinating. You know, I think aging in society in general is something that um, kind of has a weird stigma about it. You know, it's just kind of this thing that's just kind of there, even though it's a inevitable thing for all of us on that front. So, Leonie, if, if you could just kind of give me a background of just what exactly uh, you all are doing over at the Aging Revolution and, and what it is exactly. Sure. So the Aging Revolution has been around now for about six or seven years. We, um, and it's founded by myself and my partner, Simon Lowe. We first, when we first conceived the idea, we were really interested in the aging system and how we might shift it. Because what we'd seen was that from our own personal experience and also from our work life experience, that aging was one of those things where people had a, what, what, what you just said, people have a very negative view of growing older. And for us, we were both like, well, what, why? Why do we have this idea that getting older is such a terrible thing? I mean, isn't that what we all want to do? We all want to like grow to live along and grow older and live a long life. Hopefully, that's what we want to do. So why, do, why does ageing get such a bad rap? So we started off with a road trip and we went around probably about two-thirds of Australia talking to people about ageing and growing older. From there... We sort of went, oh, like, what are the things that we could, after listening to what people have said, how could we solve some of these problems that we heard cropping up again and again? And that's kind of where we, where we kicked off. Um, we, we found technology 
and we use different types of technology, but we also use creative methods to challenge ageism because at the root of most of the problems that people were talking about, that's that's what it is. It's ageism, ageism that we're kind of challenging and fighting against to shift those, those perspectives on ageing. So we use a bunch of different methods and we've come up with, um, uh, we've had quite a few different projects over time uh, and we're, we're still trying to push those what we would call stereotypical thoughts about aging and older people um, every day. Yeah, and I'm really excited to get into some of those methods, strategies, and solutions that you've provided for. And we're certainly going to talk a lot about that as well. But before we kind of jump directly into that, I do want to talk about that kind of stigma and ageism and, and that thought process of, of it because I see it all the time. You know, I'm still, well, what I think society would call young. Right. And, and, and so with that being said, you know, I still I have some friends that'll be like, ah, oh, I can't I'm not getting old. I'd, I'd rather just die. And I'm kind of and I'm always so perplexed. And I and I, you know, I think maybe I'm weird in, amongst them or something because I hear that at times. And I'm kind of like, what isn't it better if you if you're getting older? It means you're, you're still living, which means that you've done some things right successfully with that as well. So why is it that you think over time kind of ageism has gotten or people growing old and then or young people when they see older people and why do you think that that negative stigma kind of is there to begin with in the first place i think it's important to to note that we're probably talking about a very uh, western anglo-saxon anglo-celtic sure. frame a lot of the time so uh, when it comes to ageism not that it doesn't seep into other other cultures but i think that that's probably the main frame that that we see presented um in our in our countries and uh, where we devalue older people um, and we value youth. So, and, and we, we have this, and especially for women, I think there's this uh, idea that, that ageing equals less desirable, less beautiful, and therefore less powerful. And I, I would challenge that. I would say that's probably not the case. Um, the other part of it is I think, you know, like for you, like if you've got that attitude, it's there's probably a pretty good chance that you've had a good relationship with an older person in your life because what we see is that people who have good attitudes about growing older have probably had a, had a, um, a significant relationship with somebody else who was older who acted as a, as a bit of an inspiration or a role model for them um, and they can see that ageing is not, not something to be scared of. And that's the kind of attitude we really want to promote because we know that ageism is actually really negative for people and their health. So people who have less ageist beliefs tend to live longer and they live a more healthy older age. So there's been a really interesting study, like even if you've had the, um, the gene that predisposes you to Alzheimer's, positive beliefs can actually help you to withstand that, I guess, at some level. So there are really important reasons why age, ageism is something that we should be tackling. Um, and for myself, I think it was really selfish reasons. So my mum is 83, nearly 84, and I wanted a better older age for her. But I also want a better older age for me because I look around and I think, like, well, I, I don't want the old age that's necessarily um, shared as that this is what I should be expecting and this is what's going to happen to me. I, I want to challenge that. And 
I think the only way to do that is actually kind of put my money where my mouth is and make it happen. Yeah, yeah. First and foremost, thanks for the clarification. Yeah, we're all talking kind of like the Western Anglo-Saxon kind of viewpoint of aging in the society on that front, particularly what you see in the US, Australia, the UK, places like that. Um, secondly, within what you just said too, so many questions really, um, but one of them that comes to mind is, or actually a comment first, is, is I do think you're really right. I think that's a great point about the relationships that younger people have with older people. I think that that is, goes with human nature in general. What you don't know kind of fears and scares you a little bit, right? I mean, that goes for all types of topics. And if you don't have a strong relationship with uh, a grandparent or another elderly figure in your life growing up, or even while you're in your young adult years, I can definitely see how that, how that could, could cause that. You know, I was fortunate. I, I mean, I've had strong relationships with elderly people who aren't even, you know, related to me or anything like that. Uh, who I come to pass with. One gentleman in mind in Missouri I spent a couple of years with. I learned so much from him. So that, and, and then that leads kind of to that question that kind of had in the back of my mind when, when you were talking about that answer and you were kind of diving through everything and dissecting it from that ageism and trying to challenge it for a better life for you and a better life for, for your mother and things of that nature. One thing that people, and we're seeing in society today is more and more people are growing older, which is a good thing. We're living longer and things, but as a world population, people are getting older and they're staying healthier, having a lot more quality years. So I think I would say that that would probably even add a more of an important emphasis of why we have to do that. Cause I don't think in too long, we're going to continue to have an older and older population. And if there's more discontent and, and all that type of stuff, we might run into some problems. Absolutely. Like the aging of the population, I think we've been, I think it's, um, you know, we've been talking about this as a problem for probably at least 20 years. So it's one of those things that we've known it's coming and we know that it's happening, but uh, there's still not a, a generalised, you know, huge will to do something about it. I, I think um, even now, although I, I, although I think, you know, it's got better in the last three or four years, I'm starting to see more and more things coming out about the language that we use around older people, um, recruitment and uh, age discrimination in the workforce, so starting to see these things bubble up a lot more. And part of that is because the baby boomers were such a huge cohort. And I use that term just so that people know exactly who I'm talking about because I kind of think we probably should be ditching a lot of the labels around around older age and ageing because they divide us, they don't unite us. Um, but for people who were born post-war, a very large cohort of older people, and they probably challenge some of those in those stereotypes a little bit more. But we're also seeing people who want to stay in the workforce longer because they are healthier um, or because they, they've, they, they have to because the inequity um, has grown a little bit as well. So we've got, you know, older people who are, uh, getting towards that last part of their life, but still have to work because that's that they need to, and um, and if they if they can't challenge ageism in the workplace, then then what happens next? So we there's so many reasons why we should be challenging ageism on a daily basis. It's um it's mind blowing, but yeah, as, especially in and I think you know some countries are um, have a much better view of older people, and they're still also facing challenges. So. Uh, it, even even um, uh, even though we we've got this sort of a little bit more ingrained that uh, aging is a negative thing in the US and the UK and Australia, I think you know other countries equally face face a challenge with people growing older because they haven't had that many older people before. And China is probably a great example where the aging population is really starting to um, rear its head, I guess, as a as something that it's a problem that needs to be solved. Not that older people need to be solved, but some of those issues that are there for older people 
They need a little bit of fresh thinking. You mentioned the other cultures in society, right? You know, my mom's side of the family and, and whatnot is, is kind of Venezuelan and Latin American. And, you know, you think about them and how they treat the elderly. And, you know, typically your grandparents, your mother, they live with you. And, and I know some Asian cultures are, are similar to that as well, but they grow old and they live with you. So they're, you're exposed to an older generation of people almost on a daily basis as a young person kind of growing up versus in the U.S., or in the UK or Australia, for example, you know, we put older people in retirement homes and things of that nature, and, and that's just where they go. Or you don't see them as often because they might live farther away. So I think that could potentially play a role too. But but one thing that you've mentioned as well with ageism and, and the issues that we have with uh, workforce discrimination and things of that nature as well, how do you think neglecting the older population could kind of hurt society as a whole, maybe through an economic perspective, a social perspective, a cultural perspective, or things of that nature, if we continue to, to not really try to solve this issue and just neglect it? It's, it boggles my mind that, that um, as people get older, you know, like what we see is it, it, that, the, that the way that people get categorized as they get older is that they become almost hom homogenous. And we see that in age ranges, you know, like, so it's quite common, I think, if you filling out any kind of a form or completing a survey that you'll see an age range that just says 65 plus so you, and or you know 50 to, to 60 60 to uh, 70 70 plus and I, I think the really interesting thing about that is that people actually become more complex more complicated more diverse as they age but we kind of tend to lump everybody together so that's that's one thing I think you know like we should be drawing on people's experience and uh, yet people's experience as an older person is often seen as a negative or a liability when it comes to applying for a job. Um, people are always looking, lots of job ads, and you'll see it where they're advertised for somebody who's energetic, a recent graduate, and I think these turn people off wanting to apply. And so we're missing out. We're missing out on this experience that's been collected over the years. And, and then there's really good evidence that, that older people um, besides, you know, challenging the idea that people aren't tech savvy because they, they are and people can learn and we continue to learn as we age, but we don't stop doing that. Um, there's, there's really good um, uh, evidence that older people are more calm in the workplace when it comes to solving problems. So problems, because they've probably come against it before, they've probably experienced something similar before so they can apply their experience and I think this is something that for younger generations in the workplace, that it's really important to have that, to have those people in there. Um, and I feel like we are really missing out. The other thing about that is that I think if we if we go on the same trajectory and we don't start to challenge some of these ideas, and you mentioned aged care, and I've been lucky enough in the last 12 months to do a bit of work in aged care settings, uh, implementing virtual reality. And some, some aged care settings are, are great. They're really starting to shift that institutional model. Um, others are kind of sticking with the same old institutional model that we've seen over the last probably 50 years. Um, it costs a lot. And if we start to shift some of these models, what we see is that they don't cost as much. So at the very, very, you know, barest of economic levels where we talk if we're just talking about the bottom line then challenging ageism is actually better for your bottom line and we see that in workplaces as well as in aged care settings um, and a whole range of other settings as well that's wonderful everybody loves something that helps their bottom line but it's, it motivates right it motivates 
do something. And as much as I hate it, I feel like, you know, you should like be doing these things because you have a, there's a social good or um, the motivation to make a, um, a better world. I get it. People don't, that's not the thing that necessarily drives everybody. So the bottom line is a, a wonderful lever. Yeah. And it works. Like you said, I mean, there's evidence to do so, you know, and there's a lot of value in the workforce when you have somebody who's who's older, who has gone through stressful situations and they know how to approach them being calm and, and they can teach a younger person that, you know, it, I'm trying to there's that movie with what's that movie that came out a few years ago with Robert De Niro and, and Anne the Hathaway, intern? The intern, the intern, something like that. Yeah. You know, I feel like more people should try to watch that because, you know, of course, it's a comedy film, but it's also that feel good like, hey, there's a lot of value that I can still provide to you as a young person. And I can teach you these things if you give me a chance and open up and not just judge me immediately because, oh, I'm old. Forget this person. Um, before we really get into it, because I, I want to know more about what you've learned throughout your travels in Australia and speaking with people and and some of the things that that, that you've been able to apply to kind of make this kind of overcome this for people as well. But before we kind of get into that, I, I want to ask a little bit, too, because I think one thing that we haven't quite talked about is why aging kind of makes people so uncomfortable. You know, what is it about aging that makes people cringe? For the this is human history. I mean, think about the fountain of youth when when the Europeans were coming over to the Americas. It was where's the fountain of youth? I need to stay young. And that's when people were dying real young, you know, comparatively to now, you know, and, and it was still that. So for me, I, I guess if I were as a younger person who hasn't aged quite a bit yet, what I guess makes me the most nervous is the lack of kind of physical skills that I have and maybe just getting deteriorating a little bit like that. Other than that, I enjoy getting older because I, I don't, I'm not as dumb. You know, I'm wiser. I make more educated decisions. I have more life experience and it's better. But w what do you think it is about aging that makes people so uncomfortable to talk about? Let's take a quick time out to talk about my book recommendation for this week. This week, I'd like to recommend and talk about the book, The Future of Feeling, Building Empathy in a Tech-Obsessed World by Caitlin Phillips. It's a book that I found really interesting because it talks about how we seem to have less empathy for others as we've built a more tech-oriented world. But I could actually see it going both ways, but I do think empathy is more one-sided now. Overall, it does a wonderful job at exploring how tech is impacting our ability to properly empathize with others and creating new challenges for human emotions. So let's get back to our discussion about aging with Leonie Sanderson. You know, I think there's a couple of things in there. I think people don't like talking about death and and obviously the older we get, the closer we get to death. And I, I think there's a real fear of death and, um, and we don't talk about it much as a topic. And I think that's definitely something that people maybe unconsciously hold within themselves, that there's a fear of, of that and a fear of facing death. I think the other part of that, though, is also a fear of disability. So, you know, like that idea of like that as I get older, um, um, my body is going to wear out a little bit and there are going to be things that I can't do that I do now that I like doing. Um, part of that, I think, is like we, we have a bit of a bit of ableism is, is kind of intertwined in with that, I think, as well. So, that, that I think a sense that somehow we're lesser if we aren't, aren't as physically able as we once were. Um, and I, and I, you know, as a, as a woman of 55, I, f I feel that sometimes, you know. I have days where I think, oh, there's like, you know, my shoulder is creaky and it's not working properly and my range of motion isn't as good as it used to be. And if I go for a run, I can hear my knees, both of them, 
you know, making clicking noises. Um, but I don't feel, I, I think it's really important to like not uh, define yourself by those things. So, and, and I feel like that's maybe what we do when we project old age. And Ashton Applewhite has this great line from her um, book, The Aging Manifesto, where she talks about uh, ageism as being the only prejudice that we hold against ourselves. So when we're talking about ageism and growing older, we're actually being prejudiced against our own selves because we are going to get there and we are going to be older. And we need that little moment of being able to think, what would it be like when we are 80 or 90? How do we how do we imagine that we would be in the world? And I think shift our own perspective. Uh, I, I don't think, um, I don't, I personally, I imagine myself as a really uh, incredible 80 to 90 year old. And I'm not sure how, how long I'll live or how long I want to live. I think that's probably 80 to 90 feels like a really good place. It feels like a good spot. Um, who, and with a lot of experience to pass on, just, you know, whether my body is working really well or not. So I don't, I don't feel like that that should be something that we define ourselves by. But I, but I think that that's probably the thing that we, that we do. And, you know, and obviously youth is something that if we look around us and we look at advertising and media and the things that bombard us on a daily basis, it's, it's often about staying young and looking young and how do we do that and, and, uh, and how the systems kind of feed into that as well. Um, and again, it's not just for women, it's for men as well, but I, but I do feel like that, that, that gendered ageing is a bit stronger in our um, media. So film and TV, you know, if we, could, if we could see more older women in roles that aren't just a benevolent grandmother um, or the oracle, I think that would be fantastic. Um, and the same for men, you know, like we, we do see a few more roles in there for men, I think, but not so, not so many for, for women. I think that that's something that I would love to see shift and see if there's a bit of a shift in people's attitudes in general as a result of that. I feel like there would be. I think so. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I don't think there's any question that women are far more pressured than men to to age um, more youthfully, uh, for lack of a better word, I don't, I don't really know how to say that, but to age with, to make themselves look younger as they grow older, I think there's way more pressure to that. And, you know, I think some people, some, I mean, sometimes people, you know, say men age better or they look better as they get older, you know, like the silver fox, right. You know, you have that saying, right. But, and you look at media and TV and movies, there's always, always an older man with a much younger woman in a starring role. Like, why can't that woman in that starring role, if that guy's, you know, Tom Cruise, why does he have to have a 30-year-old, you know, starring woman next to him when he's in his 50s? You know, uh, why can't it be the same type of representation there? Uh, you know, so I, I think you're spot on on that front as well. It's starting to happen. There are a couple of, yeah, there's a couple of movies out now. I think one with uh, Emma Thompson and uh, uh, where she has a younger lover. Um, there we go. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a very interesting film and uh um, and I think there are some more outspoken women who are challenging some of those ideas as well. So it's starting to happen, but it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I think, too, that it's a little bit more accepted now that some of those younger women uh, stars in the early 2000s and 90s who are getting a little bit older are able to now they're more comfortable going out. Like, you know, what the hell? Why aren't I getting this? Role? You know what I mean? What happened? I was I'm a star. Yeah, I should be getting this role. And you're just doing it just because I'm, I'm older now. That doesn't make any sense. So. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I definitely see the changes and I think it is is moving forward, which is good. And speaking of moving forward, Leone, I'd love to learn a lot more about what the aging revolution is doing to help kind of combat this right now. You had mentioned traveling through Australia and di- trying different resources and strategies. Could you go ahead and, and provide a little bit more detail of your findings and things of that nature? Yeah, absolutely. So like when we when we when we finished our road trip, we did kind of move into the tech space a little bit initially with um looking at how could we, because one of the things that we heard from people was that as they grow older, their, their caring responsibilities become bigger. So they're um, maybe not just caring for younger people, but caring for the older people in their family as well. So a little bit like what you were saying with your extended family, you know, there's that that responsibility to look after the older people in your family. Um, but there were no really good resources around how to do that from, a, um, from the person's perspective. So what we typically saw was that there might be, uh, maybe you're caring for your dad or your mum and they have to go to the different health professionals, maybe the physiotherapist, maybe their general everyday doctor, maybe a couple of specialists in there. And all of those people hold notes and records about that person. And as as a person who was doing the caring and the person who's being cared for, you don't have a single place to put all of that information. So that was one of the first things that we tackled um, with the development of an app. That one is actually in the works now and hopefully we'll have a prototype coming out uh, by the end of the year. So we, we actually went through an accelerator program with that one, had a few co-founder issues with, with some um, in a previous incarnation and now hopefully we've like shifted and moved it and we're going to have a prototype happening by the end of the year. That's one project. We um, we did we've done a bit of work around visual ageism. So, uh, kind of what we were just talking about, you know, like when we when we think about the diversity of older people, uh, the imagery that we see of older people doesn't match it. So we don't we don't see very many images of uh, the gay community represented as older people. We don't see very many images of um, people of color. Uh, we don't see many images of people in intergenerational situations. We we see we tend to see uh, couples um, or people on their own, and generally they're white and middle class looking. These are the these are the fairly stock standard images that we've seen over the last ten to twenty years. Um, we wanted to challenge that with photos that weren't like that at all. So we talked to ten photographers and have pulled together a set of images that we're going to exhibit online. um, And we're launching that on October the 7th. So it'll be called Pick Me, um, P-I-K-M-E, and um, about picturing yourself. And what we would like to do is encourage people to share their own images of themselves uh, as diverse elders in our community and start, start challenging those narratives around what it looks like to grow older. And uh, one of our other projects that we've got on the boil at the moment is we talked a little bit about death earlier. Um, We've worked with the Australian Centre for Social Innovation over here to develop a a deck of cards, a a game about dying and death. It's a little bit irreverent. So if you think sort of um, death conversations in it with the cards against humanity kind of vibe, that's the game. It's called Carked It, which is, there you go, which in uh, Australian slang means dying. So carked it, you can look it up, Um, C-A-R-K-E-D-I-T. 
uh, that game is we had we just did a Kickstarter. It's just been um, double what we asked for, and we're going to be launching that game by the end of the year as well. So 2022 has been a bit of a big year for us with getting things finally getting things off the boil and out into the um, public space. Yeah, it sounds like it. Hard at work. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Lots of innovation. And, and and I think it's important to be innovating about these things as well. I love the card game, talking about death and kind of putting a humor twist to it as well to kind of encourage more people to be a little bit more comfortable with that conversation as well. And, and I think that'll really help coming to grips with aging too on that front. You know, Leonie, something else that you said in that that, that you had mentioned before is, is kind of tech and utilizing technology and this new app that you've been developing that you hope to have a prototype by the end of the year. You mentioned VR a little bit earlier. How do you think that that in the future will continue to kind of help to defeat misconceptions about aging and to make people a little bit more comfortable with the fact that they are aging? Oh, look, you know, that that whole, the whole VR space is really, really interesting because I think what we're starting to see now is people are starting to talk a lot more about the metaverse. Um, so with another company that was kind of an offshoot of the ageing revolution, People Tech, we, we build VR that challenges people's unconscious bias. So obviously... Ageism is is one of those unconscious bias that we want to to um, get people to experience what it's like to be on the receiving end of ageism. So at a very basic level, VR can give you that um, perspective shift because it's immersive. You can be you can be somebody else. You can feel what it's like to have discrimination um, coming at you, and you can have that empathy experience. With the metaverse, I think we're presented with a whole other set of issues that pop up around ageism because typically uh, software engineers and uh, programmers, people in the, in the industry tend to be younger um, and not only that, they tend to be male. So we, there's a couple of double whammies there. So it's a space that I think we can probably challenge ageing and ageism a lot, um, even right down to the kinds of avatars that we create, um, how we represent ourselves in the metaverse. So, you know, I, we don't have to look like Will and Leone in the, in the metaverse. We can look a different way if we want to. Um, what, but what do we get to choose from? And how do we start to influence at a really uh, ground level um, how, those, how that, these worlds are created and what's in them? Um, you also don't, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to um, have a disability. You don't have to be the way you are at all. So, like, you can, you can really play with that a lot. And I think there's just that whole, it's a wide open space that we really need to make sure that, that we're building it as, as inclusively as possible. Um, I, I want to remind people that we, we don't want to replicate an inequitable or um, an uninclusive world. We want the metaverse to be inclusive for everybody. Um, for older people, I think that's a really that's really interesting. So um, I mentioned working in aged care settings with older people, and we were really fortunate to be a part of a project. We project we project managed it with a university here, where we went into uh, three different aged care centres and delivered a VR program to older people, and it it really showed me how much this technology around VR can be a leveler. Because there were people there who said, you know, like, oh, I can't, I find it difficult to use an iPhone, um, the iPad, but I can use VR and I can have this conversation with my grandkids and my kids about this amazing technology that I've been able to experience and I've been able to use. So there's the potential for that technology 
to, you know, be so accessible that we remove some of those barriers that might exist currently around tech for older people, um, particularly people at the very old end of the scale, and give opportunities to do things that people have never done before. So, you know, we're really privileged to see people go, well, I want to go skydiving. Um, Muriel in her, her 90s, that's what she wanted to do, and she loved it. Or I want to go swimming with the dolphins or swim on the Great Barrier Reef or uh, take a, um, a hot air balloon across the Swiss Alps. And VR gives you that potential to do that and the ability to, to have those experiences um, when you're sitting at home in the comfort of your own you know, living room and in your, in your lounge. So I, I just feel like that it's, it's, um, there's a lot of potential there to really shift attitudes and make sure that we're getting things right from the beginning. Yeah, VR is such a fascinating space to me. Well, number one, just the fact that it's you can literally replicate almost anything. And like you just said, if you want to go take a hot air balloon across the Swiss Alps, which might be the only time you'd ever find me in a hot air balloon is in a VR space where I know I ain't going to die. But, um, you know, anything like that, swimming with the dolphins, you know, from that level, it's crazy. But the one thing that you made a great comment on was the inclusivity. You know, I, I think what we've done and what we've seen in real life is is a product of just like... Um, just kind of how things went, you know, I, I don't, I think, I don't think it was as conscious, but now that we have this knowledge and information, we can be very intentional about what we're building and say, Hey, look, we know that this is a problem in real life. So now we can kind of fix it in the VR world where we don't have those same issues where it's inclusive. Everybody is, is on an even playing field, if you will, and, and can do a lot of great things. So I think that's pretty cool. Definitely going to be in touch with you on that to see how that kind of continues to evolve uh, over the time, over time and in the years as it continues. From your perspective, uh, what do you think are the most important benefits of creating kind of a more inclusive culture between generations and age gaps and things of that nature as well? Um, something from my own experience here in the U.S., what we see from the news, you mentioned the word boomers earlier and, and how you didn't like that. That's become a cry amongst people in my generation and, and even younger people. Oh, God, the boomer said this. Oh, it's a boomer, boomer, boomer. I mean, I think there was even a, a trend on social media that was about boomer. And um, that's a negative context to me. And there's always going to be a divide in the way that, it, you know, a generation 50 years older than you thinks and perceives the world versus how you might think and perceive the world because things change and we learn new things. And that same thing is going to happen as we continue to get older for me. Uh, as it is for the the kids that are four, and, and it's always going to have a, a thing. So for me, I think the direct benefit, if we can bridge that gap and encourage more conversation and encourage more relationships to go back to the root of what you said, where people just don't have relationships with elderly people sometimes. I think to me, that would help solve at least that thing would be a great benefit for society, maybe less division politically and things of that nature. But what do you think would be the kind of the biggest benefits of connecting people that are several generations apart and allowing open conversation it's it's a really interesting question and i think like you know there's that <laughs> there's that whole um it's i don't know why we do it but we kind of have this whole binary thing don't we we kind of go like old young and that's it and and I, it feels divisive and i and i feel like it's i feel like the generational and the generation gap is one of those things that gets pulled out Sometimes when politicians want to distract us from more important issues, sometimes I feel, but um, but it it's an unnecessary divide. That's that's how I feel about. It. I don't feel like we, um, I don't I don't think we can categorize generations so clearly. And to me, the, one of the benefits of having that intergenerational con contact 
is that we get to understand somebody else's perspective. And, and I've, um, in our society, often, often what we do is we don't listen. We don't listen to other people. We tend to kind of form our own um, decisions and their, our own thoughts and opinions without necessarily listening to other people and then kind of take, take that path. I think intergenerational connection means we have to listen a little bit more closely. And I have a really wonderful example of that because, my, um, like I said, my mum's in her 80s and my partner's mum is in her 70s. And she came to visit us recently from, from the UK and she stayed with us for six weeks. And it was wonderful. We really enjoyed having her live with us for six weeks. So she's she's a very dynamic person. She's always been super active um, and she's really fit. So, um, she, you know, she runs rings around me. I, like, I can't keep up with her. But she had a very interesting conversation with my 18-year-old. And that's a, that's a pretty big age gap, you know, like, and, uh, and she doesn't get to see and talk to very many 18-year-olds in her daily life. And he doesn't get to talk to that many 73-year-olds in his daily life. So they had a conversation about gender and uh, people who are transgender and the transgender community. And they had a conversation about pronouns. And she couldn't really understand why there is a fuss about people's pronouns. And he explained it to her in a really lovely way and was talking to her about his experience with his peers and how they use pronouns and how they introduce themselves to each other. And I feel like she came away with, from, from it with a really different perspective than I think that she might have got from talking to somebody in her own age group or my, or even my age group and and he came away with it with a really different perspective kind of realizing that maybe not everybody thinks the same way that he does too and that that there are some things that just um have more importance in an 18 year old's life than they do in a 73 year old's life and how do you bridge that gap and I just thought it was a really you know like that I I think it was a really beautiful conversation that they had and I listened to it and was amazed by it and thought that that's kind of what we need to do you know like we need to be having these conversations between younger and older people and not just like 18 year olds and um teenagers and much older people but I think you know across all age ranges that we we just don't we don't do that enough we don't listen we don't under, we don't try and understand other people's perspectives um and and to me that that's that's a one key, that's one thing that having that intergenerational contact can do. Um, I think the other thing is that then, you know, you, you, um, he was on a mission also to, to introduce her to as much of his music as possible. And she was really open to that and listened to hip hop music, which she would never listen to. And, um, and then she got him listening to some of the music that she enjoys, which he would never have listened to. And they both discovered stuff that they liked that they wouldn't have found otherwise. And I think that's a really great thing about intergenerational connection as well, is that it can spark 
inspiration or uh, a joy of something that you might not have ever, you know, the algorithms in our life dictate so much to us at the moment that, that sometimes I think we, we don't find, we don't explore and we don't discover. But having that intergenerational connection means that you can find out things that you, you wouldn't have come across otherwise. So I think that's really important as well. And I saw something uh, on a friend's LinkedIn the other day, another, another woman in the US, Jeanette Liardi, who writes really amazing pieces on ageism. And she was talking about uh, the fact that most gerontologists have had that intergenerational contact and intergenerational significant relationship. And so, you know, if we want to have better healthcare, if we want to have a better system, then we need people in professional roles who, who have had that relationship and who have a, a sense of empathy towards what it's like getting older and being older. And that's really, really important. If we want to, if we want to change products and services, then we need people who understand what it's like and have, can have that connection with older people. So I think those things are really important. Yeah, I love it. I mean, especially when you have that kind of mutual respect, you know, as as a grandparent to the the grandson uh, as well. You know, when you have that age gap and there's already that connection, right? And that mutual respect. And it's like, I will be willing to listen to you. You will be willing to listen to me. And you kind of have that type of conversation, you know, and, and I think that's true across the board. I mean, I think about some of these viral videos on TikTok or Instagram and things of that. How many of them, some of the videos that get the most views are the ones where you take a young person and they have an older person dance into some hip hop or new music because they love it. They think it's great and it's hilarious. And, and it's really just the, the important step to making that openness available on that front. Right. And, and it's, the openness of, of the elderly person and the openness of the younger person to kind of bridge that gap. And instead of just immediately labeling someone as something, be like, hey, why don't you talk to someone who's 50, 60 years older than you grew up before any of these things even existed or meant anything? And instead of just pushing them off, understand why and then educate them and vice versa. Right. And say, hey, look, we, we did it this way for this reason. We think it's great. This inf- I just don't understand. You know, why is this important? You know, and and then and, and I think there's a lot to be kind of said for that. And then to comment on the services and the products, there's a big gap. I mean, people don't design products for people that are elderly these days. There's just nobody creates a, an application or a product that's specifically for someone who's 65 plus, you know, uh, or anything like that. Right. And again, it, I just used what you said, the, uh, the age 65 plus, not even including the, the other differences within that. So that's one thing I think we need to improve on in, in the services too. And I think that the VR and the AR is is a great way to to kind of continue and connect with that a little bit, but most importantly too, I think applying it into real life scenarios as well. But Leonie, I'd love for you to share your experience uh, as you've aged and as you continue to get older on that front as well. You know, what was it? When did you kind of have that perspective and click like, oh, it's not bad to age. This is great, you know. And and these are the benefits I'm feeling. I know you mentioned the knees and running. Uh, you know that maybe that not so great, but you know the same part of it. Uh, as you age as well, you you get more knowledge and stuff. So I, I'd love for you to just kind of share your experience uh, to the audience as well, and in, in terms of um, what you've been thinking of aging. I want to take a quick break to talk about some facts surrounding aging and health from the World Health Organization. The world's population is rapidly aging. That's right. The number of people aged 60 years or older will rise from 900 million to 2 billion people between 2015 and 2050, moving from 12% to 22% of the global population. 
So for example, France had almost 150 years to adapt to a change from 10% to 20% the proportion of the population that was older than 60s years old, while places like Brazil, China, and India will have slightly more than 20 years to make that same adaptation. Ageism may now be more pervasive than sexism or racism. Ageism is the discrimination against a person on the basis of their age, and it can have serious consequences for older people in societies at large. Ageism can take many different forms, including prejudicial attitudes, discriminatory practices, or policies that perpetuate ageist beliefs, and it can obstruct sound policy development, and it can actually significantly undermine the quality of health and social care that older people receive. And here are a couple other facts about aging from the Huffington Post. You're more likely to be happier than you used to be. That's right. A recent study found that people were most happiest in their youth in their 20s and again in their 70s and 80s with some pointing that they were more happy in their 80s than they were in their 20s when they were young. That's something positive to look forward to, isn't it? Uh, You can also handle social conflicts more effectively, according to a University of Michigan study, and your vote will count more than ever. As in the November 2010 election, 61% of citizens aged 65 and older cast their ballots, and that was the best turnout of any age group. And you're not nearly as stressed as you used to be. So people over 65 reported having much less stress, though they did cite health concerns and worries of work, money, and family subsidy. But those between the ages of 35 and 49 were the most stressed, followed by people aged 25 to 34. So there's some quick facts just around aging. There's lots of good things to look forward to as you age. And so it's an important important thing as you keep aging to make sure you exercise and things of that nature as well. So let's dive right back into the episode with Leonie Sanderson and continue our conversation about aging in this week's episode of the Talking Solutions podcast. For a long time, I don't think I thought about it at all. I think I, 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 think I actually was probably, um, I probably was ageist in a lot of ways as well. So I, I worked in government in a social policy area and I worked with older people. And I think probably a lot of the time what I was doing was sort of othering, you know, so I was kind of like talking about older people as if they were like, not, not me. And, um, and I realized that and thought, actually, that's, that, that is, that is me. And I, I kind of had to have a bit of um, my own internal journey, I think, around, around ageism, because, you know, we do do it to ourselves as well. And, you know, you see it when people kind of go like, oh, I'm too old for that. So I tried really purposefully to challenge that in myself. Um, skateboarding, I took up like learning how to skateboard when I was about 48 and I'd never skateboarded before ever, even though I had had boyfriends who skateboarded, I never did it. So I think that was one of those things where I thought, well, why did I not do that? Um, and, and, there, and now I'm 48, why should I not do that now? I think I'm just gonna give it a go, and much to my son's delight. And um, and I and I did it, and I'm, I wouldn't say it was amazing, you know. I can I can move along and do a few things, but it was it was something that I think it felt like challenging my own internal prejudice. Um, I let my hair go grey as well. So for many for many years, I, I um, dyed my hair black. It was pretty dark anyway, and I would always see these grey hairs, and then I'd think, oh, I need to cover them up. And around around the age of about 45, I, I just went, do you know, why am I doing that? Like, I don't know why I'm dyeing my hair all the time. I feel like I'm feeding into some kind of uh, 
stereotype about like what I should be looking like and how bad could it be to have grey hair. So I, I let it grow out and um, some of my friends were really challenged by that. So some of my female friends were like, oh, what are you doing? You know, you're like, you're going to look so much older and you're letting yourself go. And and I thought, well, am I? I don't know. I'm like being me. I'm being who I am. And maybe it's not for everybody and that's fine. You know, like I think we kind of have to do this stuff in our own way. Um, but I did see something the other day that really resonated with me as well. It was saying, you know, like, Sometimes we look at, um, uh, we do things for ourselves that maybe uh, are not are good for us as individuals, that they're, they're the things that we do that we feel like we should do for our own selves as individuals. And maybe continuing to dye our hair or continuing to, you know, like um, uh, wear makeup or get Botox or whatever these things are, we might, we might do that. But let's have a think about what's the good for the, for the population at large in terms of like, um, oppression, which sounds really dramatic, but when it comes to grey hair. But in my mind, I thought, you know, like having having um, grey hair sends a signal on a on a at a higher level that it's okay to be an older woman and have grey. It's okay to have grey hair when you're young too. It's like not embarrassing, and it shouldn't be shameful, and it shouldn't be this thing that we worry so much about. Um, so that was another thing. I, um, I, and I've also kind of gone through the whole perimenopause and menopausal thing, which most women I think find really uncomfortable to talk about and don't, don't want to talk about it and want to kind of push it away to one side. But I think it's also a really important phase for women in their lives to start to kind of work out again. It's a little bit like adolescence. You know, when you go through that whole, like, who am I in the world and what am I doing here? And I think for a lot of women from the ages of about 45 to 55, it's kind of a time of doing that as well. And I think it's important to talk about that stuff. So for, for me, that's been amongst my friendship group. I, I rave on about it all the time. And I'm always amazed that every time I do, so many of my friends come back to me, and not just women friends, but, but male friends as well, who may be in relationship with um, women or friends who are going through menopause in the trans community. And that's really even less talked about. That's just kind of got really, really quiet um, and, sh and share what's going on for them. So I think, you know, like being a bit open about growing older and the things that, that I've gone through, it's really important. And um, I, I'm still, I still struggle with it sometimes, you know, like every now and then I go like, oh, God, I've got a few more wrinkles coming. Or, and, and then I kind of check myself a little bit because uh, I think it is important to sort of be honest about this stuff but also know that, that um, growing older is it's pretty, it's pretty fun, you know, like the majority of the time I, I feel like I'm doing new things all the time and I feel like, um, oh, can I swear on your show? Well, I don't want to swear on your show. But it's like you, you don't care as much about what other people say. And I think that is one of the big, big, big positives of growing older is that you can just kind of go, you know what, like what are you, I'm like in my 50s and I'm, I'm like what are you going to do about it? I'm, I'm going to just do this thing anyway and if you disagree with me, that's fine. I don't need everybody to like me. And I think as a younger person I probably felt a lot more like that. I probably was a lot more obedient 
and um, uh, tried to fit in and people please a bit. And I don't do that as much anymore. And I'm sure that that's because I'm getting older. Yeah, from what I've read, agreeability goes down as you get older. Um, yeah. yeah. And people are much more agreeable when they're younger, you know, and they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll do whatever. Yeah, whatever. You know, I, I find that as well, you know, and, and I'm, you know, in, in my late 20s and almost 30, the big 3-0, you know, each decade always gives that a little uh, significance, if you will. But I have found finding no a lot easier and being like, I just don't care. I, you know, I can't, I can't be asked, like, I just can't be bothered to do that. So yeah, I, great points. Fantastic insight, Leonie. I, I think it's a hundred percent true. I think growing old should be celebrated. You have one day, you have one extra day than somebody else who couldn't have that extra day. And that's how it should be looked at as cringy as that sounds, but it's cringy because it's a little uncomfortable to think about sometimes. So, um, totally you know, I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I just think, I think that you should look at it like that. And aging is a great thing and provides you with a lot of opportunities to, to continue to to learn and create new things. You know, that's another thing that people, you know, I see young people amongst my friends and they see some older person trying to learn a language or, you know, do something. And it's me like, oh, what is this person doing here? You know, well, why, why does it matter? A person's trying to learn something. I always want to learn. I want to be that person. I want to be that guy who's trying to learn something new at 60. You know, I guess I, if I stop learning, then I feel like I'm stopped living and having a purpose and, and all that. But who, who knows? Who knows? Uh, we'll see. It, talk to me in 30 years. We'll see if I still want to do that. But definitely, like, and I just think there was this woman that we met when we were on the road trip and we asked her what growing old meant for her. And uh, she said, I just see growing old as a great privilege. Um, my husband died last year and he was 39. And I just think growing old is such a great privilege and we should be thankful for every moment we have. And, and we were all in tears, you know, but, but what she said was so heartfelt and true. Yeah, it's 100 percent true. And like you said, it's just easy to not think about because it's uncomfortable and it can bring negativity and anxiety. But at the end of the day, you, you got to face it and, and you got to embrace it. And, and that's really going to be the things that make it a bit more positive for you as well. But uh, Leonie, I'd love for you to share ways for people to connect with you. If they'd love it, they heard what you had to say, if they want more information on the game, uh, forgive me, I, I can't get that Australian slang Cocked down. It. I don't know what it was. Cocked it? Cocked it. How, how do you say? Cocked, Cocked it. it. Yeah. That doesn't sound right in an American accent. <laughs> no, it's we got we got that R. <laughs> we got the hard R too much in it. On that front, how can people kind of learn more about that? How can they connect with you? How can they be a part of you know the aging revolution, people tech, and and all that good stuff? Uh, so if you if if you Google my name, you will find me pretty much instantly, Leonie Sanderson. But we um, the aging revolution has a website, the um, www.theagingrevolution.com, and we are on there, and you can contact us via that. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably on most of the forms of social media too. So Twitter, uh, Instagram, you can see us, you can see us in those spaces too. And happy to um, and reach out and connect and, and talk more about ageing because, you know, and if you're interested in the game, we are, we're taking orders. So, uh, and, the, and the website is carkedit.com. So <laughs> that one, you might have to look that one up. <laughs> That's all right. We'll put it in the show notes. Absolutely. It'll be nice and convenient. <laughs> For us Americans, I can't understand what it is. <laughs> Maybe we need to change it for the American market. <laughs> no, no, we're a country of uh, you know diversity and, and learning new cultures and things of that nature. All right, so keep it that it is, and, and we'll we'll figure it out. We'll learn about it. Leonie, is there anything else that you'd like to add here before I let you go? Oh, look, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, been a pleasure chatting, and um, yeah, I've I really, really enjoyed it. And uh, any any opportunity to talk about 
growing older and aging is always always good fun. So thanks thanks so much for having me on the show. No, thank you for coming on. This has been one of my favorite conversations to have. I think it's something that people just don't talk about. And, and you know, it, it, it kind of makes me excited to grow older personally when, when I talk to you and things of that nature. And I think it's something that's important for people to know. And, and I think it's underlying factor to in a really important way to enjoy life as a whole. You know, to really understand that aging is part of it and death is part of it is, is I think, a great way. If you can come to grips with that, a great way to fully live life, you know, for lack of a better term and another cliche to the fullest. Yeah. Right. I'm like it's, it's, it's a way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's just it's a great opportunity. And when you look at that versus, you know, when you're constantly denying it or not even thinking about it and you're caught up in the everyday grind of society and things, it can really wear on you. And when you put things into perspective, I think that allows you to kind of be a little bit more free, if you will. So thanks so much for coming on the show and and having this conversation with me. And, and I look forward to more in the future. Fantastic. Thank you. That is Leonie Sanderson, the co-founder of The Aging Revolution. She's also got the People Tech Revolution going on as well. All these will be in the show notes for you. So be sure to check that out to learn more. Go buy that game. It sounds fun. Cards Against Humanity and with a death spin on it. Sign me up. Sounds good. Uh, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Talking Solutions podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, I ask kindly for a nice review and a subscription. And of course, you can sign up for the newsletter to get more exclusive information and content from founders like Leone and others who are creating great solutions for society to move it forward in a positive direction on that front. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn. I got a new LinkedIn that were uh, added for the, the podcast. So be sure to check that out as well. And you can check it out at chesstech.com backslash talking solutions podcast to on that front. So I hope everybody enjoyed this week's episode. I look forward to talking with you in the next episode. And until then, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for listening to the Talking Solutions Podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode and check out all of our guests on our website at cheshtech.com. That's C-H-E-S-H-T-E-C-H.com to learn more as we continue our mission of supporting impact-driven founders. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Talking Solutions Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talking Solutions. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate a review and a recommendation to a friend as we focus on highlighting these great founders and individuals providing solutions to societal problems and bringing optimism into the world.